All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Questlove Supreme. I'm Questlove, your host. Um, yo, we got Team Supreme with us. Uh, start with Sugar Steve. Hello. Steve, what's up, man? Everything's good, you know, working half as hard as I normally do, but still... Uh... You're by. not working half as hard, man. You you got you got a you got a really like monumental jazz. I'm sorry. No, I meant getting paid half as much as I normally. There you go. Oh, my fault. Okay. That part. <laughs> That's real. <laughs> I can't help you there. <laughs> uh, I'm Pete Bill. What's up, bro? You know, man. Halfway through the summer, living life, driving around children. That's it. Driving around children. That's what I do. I'm like a bus service for my kids. That's my life. Getting ready for the street. That's right. New season. What what season of Sesame Street are you guys about to get into? We're wrapping 54, maybe, and starting 55. I think that's right. Yeah. Okay. So September. There you go. I'm Pay Bill was just explaining to us that Sesame Street is exempt from uh, the uh, current writer strike and acting strike as well. So. So I get paid the same amount of money, Steve, sadly. Sorry. Well, yeah, I saw some Muppets crossing the picket line the other day, though, so. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, and uh, Von Tigolo, what's up, bro? What's happening, bro? Good, man. We are uh, getting ready. Uh, we just announced today, uh, Made in Durham, Little Brother Block Party, uh, October 7th. So it's like y'all y'all little picnic joint? Like, like what, nah, what is it? Our shit is one day and one day only, <laughs> and it's for a limited amount of time, for hours, and, and then we're going to fuck home. So <laughs> this is one day. <laughs> if Fonte yeah. just want to go to fuck home, yeah, I know. Yeah. Always, <laughs> always. He must have the nicest house. <laughs> little brother, little brother, big crit, cool kids, on top, black guy, uh, DJs, Hourglass and Wally Sparks, uh, spinning, and Sam J, uh, hosting. So uh, October seventh, uh, downtown Durham. Uh, little brother NC, hit us up. October seventh. October seventh. Yeah. Damn. Okay. Is, is this uh, for the 20th anniversary of the listening? 
Yeah, yeah. 20th anniversary. With 20th anniversary, just a little brother, period. You know what I mean? We wanted to do it. Do something in our hometown. Are y'all doing like the entire album start to finish? Yeah, or? Nah, I would never do that shit. Nah, I, we, when people come to see little brother, like, I don't like them whole, we gonna do the whole album. Fuck all that. Like, people came to hear the jams. So, if it's 20 years, we celebrating the whole catalog. I get it. Okay. That's what's up. So, people, it's, of course, we all know it's hip-hop's 50th anniversary. Pretty much we are going in heavy on the conversations with, you know, our legends, our participants, our our delegates, our ambassadors of the culture. And what can I say? Our, our next guest is a legend, a legend of the mix. You know, I, I kind of credit our guest for really elevating the role of the DJ. It was it was through him that, uh, you know, I first heard the seeds of of ideas i didn't know we could do i didn't i didn't know that you could take an acapella from one record and mm-hmm. mix it with another record and you know just the amount of road trips that i've done in my life even pre-roots with his mixtapes as the soundtrack you know it's just it's 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 to me some of some of the the best moments of my life hanging with my friends uh high school and early early college years for me our guest raps, he produces, definitely a, a, a very recognizable voice and scream. And his his DJ Echo voice game is 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 unmatched. He's been in the culture uh, three decades plus and counting, you know, Grammy award winning albums. And, and you know, shit, he's, he has one accolade that you and I don't have unpaid bill. This this gentleman is on a Pulitzer Prize winning record, you know, of course. Younger fans might know of him as the the narrative voice of of Kenny's uh damn album, you know. What happens but, on Earth stays on Earth. <laughs> right, exactly. But you know, our our guest is has has just been ubiquitous with probably the best things about the culture, like one of the best party DJs ever. What can I say, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome, Kid Capri, to Quest Love Supreme. Yes, yes. What an intro! What an intro! Jesus <laughs> Christ, getting better. <laughs> I did all that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. You did all that, man. It's, you know, it's, it's it's time for that, man. It's time for that. How are you today, man? Where 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 you call? Where where you speaking to us from? Where are you right now? I'm in my studio. Okay, you're still yeah, New Yorker. I see. I, I assume. Yep, in Jersey. I, I consider Jersey New York. Everybody was on top of each other in New York. I had to get away. Come over to Jersey when I want to go to New York and go over. There. Come back to Jersey. Let me ask you because you know a lot of the soldiers or or the participants of the part of hip hop culture that I grew up on and and I'm I'm a part of and that you're part of as well a lot of them probably in the mid to late 90s decided to migrate down south you know mm-hmm. a lot of our new york legends like went to maryland and then mm-hmm. went to <laughs> north carolina and atlanta and whatnot for you though like what what has kept you in the city of new york like even yeah, Jay-Z yeah. don't live in New York no more. Like it's almost like I'm pressed to find any hip hop legend that's not still living in New York. Yeah, um, it's my feel, man. It's the feel. It's 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 what I grew up on. I've been around the world, I've been many places. There's places that I would go and move, but I know I will move there for a short period of time. But it's just something about being around New York. I'm not even in New York, I'm in Jersey, I'm right over the bridge. But I can get to New York when I'm ready, you know. But it's just the feel of of 
of New York, of, of, of everything. I come from the Bronx. I was born in Brooklyn. I was raised in the Bronx, home of hip hop. I was raised five minutes away from Hurt or Kingsbridge Terrace. Cedar Avenue was five minutes away. So it's just that feel of it. But then also my daughters is there. You know, my engineers there, my road man. Everything I need is right here. I'm looking for a house right now in this area, a new house in, in this area right now to move into. But I, I consider moving to Atlanta before in Houston and the, the price of living is way different. It's way better. But I just feel like I need to be here. I need to, and if I move somewhere else, I'm going to lose something. So that's what it pretty yeah. much is for me. Yeah. Okay. Home is home. I get it. I want to talk about your beginnings of the culture. Like for you, well, okay, you're a DJ. First of all, what, like, what environment did you grow up in as far as like your your love of music? Did you grow up in a in a sort of an open format household where music was prevalent or my dad was a soul singer. He sung he was the first soul singer to sing with the LeBron brothers. LeBron Brothers is a Latin band that's a well-renowned Latin band that's towards the world right now. And they made an album in 1960. They made two albums. They made one in 68 and one in 69. He was the first soul singer with a Latin band, and then he left and started doing Northern Soul himself, and he, he became really good. He had a record called Baby Hard Times in 73 that did good for him. So he was always, you know, doing his thing. My grandfather, his what, father- What was his name? Dave Love. He had okay. a record called Baby Hard Times. And okay. his father, my grandfather, he was a trumpet player, which I have his trumpet he brought in 1940. He used to sit in with Miles Davis, Count Basie, Theolonius. He's sitting with all these guys in all these sessions and play with them. Um, so the music always been in my family. It always been around. As, at four years old, I started playing drums. <laughs> about okay. that, I started playing drums at four years old. And at the time, we had a record player that you had to stand over and look over. And there's the big TV on the record player. You had to look over into the turntable. I used to play the turntable. I didn't know what I was doing. No DJing or nothing. But I was playing these James Brown records and, you know, these records with breaks in it. And it just it was just attractive to me as a little kid. So at eight years old, when hip hop came alive. That's when I started DJing. And from there on, I never stopped. And, you know, it all came from me growing up, knowing all the music, all the funk music and the soul music from my father and my grandfather. It's rare for us to have someone that was actually raised in, in the epicenter of the culture. Could you typically just walk me through, walk me through a day in which you are experiencing what we know as hip hop culture? What days do these... uh block parties happen like what's what's typical for like what they're djing what do the speakers look like what what does the equipment look like just walk me through your observation of like a typical bronx hip-hop experience back in the days before there was hip-hop records it was just the break beats it was just the mcs rhyming over the break beats djs uh arguing over which records they could cut like freedom and apache and i can't stop and records like that arguing and arguing like it would be it'd be crazy because it'd be seven eight djs and one mc right and <laughs> because the dj was so much more it was so much more to remember the mc didn't come and be so prevalent until records came out but when, when you had the furious five we had fantastic we had cold crush it was always the dj first charlie chasing the cold crush grandmaster flash and the furious five you know grand wizard theater on the fantastic so it was always about the dj more so they will argue about who will cut each rec what records they were cut because there were so many DJs on this party. So that's what the, it was that. It was uh going to the record shop trying to find the records and standing in the in the block parties and DJing in the rain while it's raining and the crowd still coming and they stand out there and party with you. 
you ain't making no money, you're blowing your equipment up, all that. But it was so much of, we, we wanted to have so much fun and want people to see what we're doing that we didn't mind it. We just had, we just went out there and did our thing. And it didn't matter what block it was at. We were set up on a pole, plug up to a pole. And that was the beginning of it. And we would just keep going from there. And this went on for a lot of years before records even came about. And even after records came about, it still went on. But before records came about, it was more contained. You know, and, that, and keep in mind, this is a time when they're telling us, yo, that's just noise y'all doing. Y'all ain't going to last long. They ain't going to be here long. What are y'all doing? 50 years later, I'm over here talking with Quest Love. Uh, thank you. All right, so technical questions I always wanted to know or uh, get answers to. So, you know, everyone knows, or at least for those that don't know, the legend, of course, of, of the first hip-hop party, August 11th, 1973. Cool mm -hmm. Herc throws a party for his baby sister, Cindy. Mm -hmm. And he gets this epiphany that he's just going to, instead of making you wait for the highlight, which, of course, like, if you're playing a six, seven-minute jam, there's always like a 16 bar part of the song. That's the breakdown. That's the best mm -hmm. part of the song. Mm -hmm. It's just the drums and everyone goes crazy for those 16 bars. And then it's over. And of course, cool. Herc's idea was like, let me just play all the drum breaks at once, you know, play, give it up for turn it loose by James Brown and then play some by the, uh, you know, incredible bongo band, just play the breaks. So I'm under the impression that these parties last for what, five hours at least? The first time I heard hip hop, right. I'm on my block. This kid named this guy named Joe. He has some dice in his hand. He's going, Yes, yes, y'all. Took the beat, y'all. And he's throwing the dice. And I'm standing there looking at him. I said, What do you mean, yes, yes, y'all? What is he saying? He's kept saying it. Yes, yes, y'all. Took the beat, y'all. I'm like, Yo, what's he saying? So that Friday, I went to uh, Marble Hill Projects. They used to have the parties in the community center. You get a pay for a dollar to come in and go see Rockwell Incorporated, DJ B Ward, Kevin Kev Rockwell. All of them, they were right there. And I seen DJ B Ward playing. And I seen the MC on the mic with the echo. Yes, yes, y'all, y'all to the beat, y'all, y'all. I said, oh, shit. So I'm standing there watching. And then I ran home. I said, your mom want to be a DJ. She said, what's that? She bought me a mixer that had no headphone hole. It was a Gemini mixer. It was just a Phono 1, Phono 2, aux and a mic. No headphone, no plug to plug it in. And I had to guess all the spots on the record. That's how I got better than everybody else in the neighborhood. Because I had no headphones to work with. Right, I had wow. no headphones to wear. And I'm eight years old standing on top of a milk crate. These older dudes are looking at me like, who is this little kid's bugging? No headphones, busting their ass. And the girl named Olga Carter that was in our, that was in our um, circle, the young girl, she was 13 years old at the time, she said, kick your priest sound like a good name for a DJ. At the time, my name was DJ Dr. Spank. It was a terrible name. But she said, kick your priest sound like a good name for a DJ while we're going in the classroom. I ended up trying to name. Six months later, she was shot and killed by a straight bullet by accident. Oh, so man. I ended up keeping the name. Yeah, uh, her name was Olga Carter. And, and I ended up keeping the name, took me to the top. But I was there from the beginning watching all of this and, and being a part of it and seeing what it is. That's why I appreciate my career so much because it wasn't something that was just given to me. It was something I went through all of the phases of getting doors closed and everything that had to do with just having, just learning the business and being a part of it and learning to appreciate what you have when you, and knowing when you didn't have it, you know what I'm saying? And I was there for that. So I appreciate it in a big way.
Yo, what's up? This is Fonte, Fontigolo from Team Supreme. Black representation in media is very important to me. I think it's important to have our stories told by people who look like us and who have shared in our common experiences. Some of my earliest influences were Donnie Simpson. Uh, I would also say Tom Joyner, Angela Stribling, uh, Sherry Carter. They were just people who told our stories with a lot of class and dignity and were big inspirations to me. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Schmurder to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast, The Center Black Voices. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers, or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. When you're spinning these records, and of course, like, you know, if you study the B-Boy Bible, of course, now, like, people know, like, the, the foundational breaks of the culture, you know, like your Let's Dance by Pleasure or Get Up and Dance by, uh, you know, Freedom or mm-hmm. or those particular records, which weren't necessarily hits. You know, they these weren't songs that were played on radio. So what I want to know is, all right, so take, take a break like um, Catch a Groove. By Juice, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a song that was not a radio song, it was not a hit, but yet was a staple for hip hop parties. 
how do you like what is what is what would be a, a DJ's version of like Cashbox Billboard magazine to know, oh man, I gotta get Planetary Citizen because that has a drum break in it. Like, and how how do you find these breaks? Like back in between you know 77 to even 84 before like the ultimate beats and breaks compilations were made which put all those breaks on one record i mean how typical was it for you to go to a local mom and pop record store to see you know a bunch of james brown give it up for turn loose or funky drummers just like in the bin you had to go to certain stores and what would happen is a lot of stores started bootlegging records when, when, when uh, hip hop started, like Blow Your Head, Blow Your Head was never a 45 or never a 12 inch. They made okay. a white label of Blow Your Head. So that was became so big. James Brown's Blow Your Head, yeah. Yeah, all the Apaches that came out was all bootleg Apaches. They, it was different different labels that put it out, like different, I guess, independent labels or whatever. So the, bootleg those labels like those Amico labels and those Paul Winley labels. Paul Winley was official. Paul Winley was the one that put out the, the, the uh, Super Disco breaks. Right. He would get clearance for all these break beats and put them on these albums and put these albums out. But Paul Winley was the first one, was the one that put Chiba Chiba out with George Benson. Right. Uh, you know, so he did that before the Super Disco base. So he was in in that realm. And he did it. The, he kind of did it the right way. Um, but a, a lot of times, like, a records was uh, in downstairs records on 43rd Street. They would take these 45s and make these 45s of these downstairs records, and these 45s would become just as important as finding the original record because it was a limited amount of them. Like my man Louie Lou, he still have those downstairs records. Those downstairs records, like Planetary and Citizen and records like that, these was what were recorded. Planetary and Citizen was never 45. So to have that is like a gem. You know what I'm saying? You're but talking about uh, Breakbeat Louis, Louis Flores? No, my, my, my other man, Louis Lou, Louis Lou down, downtown. Okay. He, Louis Lou downtown, we grew up together. He was in 82, 83. This dude would have, he was, they used to call him Little Bambada. He had so much stuff way back then. And he's still collecting, like he's still doing it. So, you know, um, we was way ahead of the game. But a lot of stuff, like I said, a lot of stuff got bootlegged on 45. And that's how we got it. Because a lot of times, we didn't know the names and stuff. We didn't know what it was. And even more now that I got older, I didn't realize how much stuff was in the world. I got so much from work, Brazil and just so many different places around the world. But when we were coming up with the Accenture breakbeats, we didn't think that far. You know what I'm saying? We were, we were, we were going by what Bam was playing, what Charlie Chase was playing, what Flash you know, was playing. We were, that's how we knew what to play. And how we found out the names is because they were bootleg directors. You know what I'm saying? So that's how we would go. We go to the record shop, be a whole bootleg section. We just grab what we needed. We had it. I can't stop. White label. Like it was, that's how we got our people. Oh, okay. That explains it. Cause uh I was gonna say, maybe uh, five months ago, Cool Herc had auctioned off a, a good portion of 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 his gems and whatnot, some artwork, some flyers. Uh, memorabilia and some of his records so i copped like four or five of those records and i was like well, wait a minute these are just white labels these aren't the original ones but i always wanted to know like how prevalent and how and how much of an abundance was like uh an impeach the president back in 79 80 81 82 you know what impeach got more rarer to get 
in the later years. Earlier years, it was a little easier to get, but it still wasn't. It still wasn't something that anybody could just get. You know what I'm saying? Like you had to really know that beat. Like like Louis, he Louis was the first one I heard play that, and you know he was just so in depth with what was going on. You know what I'm right. saying? But the regular person that just wanted break beats, they didn't know impeach. They didn't know. They knew. They knew the regular things that they heard on the tapes. And then later on, impeach became more prevalent. What What year would you say was like the 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 highlight of or the pinnacle of Downtown Records? Like for you, if you're an upstart DJ post, say if you're like Pioneer 1.5. This is what I took from LL Pioneer 1.5. Like post Flash, post Theodore, and post Bam and and Hurt, is Downtown Records like your your mecca? Is that the only place? Like, where would you shop for records in New York City? Oh, Downtown, R and R Record on Fort on Fordham Road, Music World on Thirty Fourth Street. Uh, but what was interesting is that there used to be a Crazy Eddie. On Fordham Road in the Bronx. Oh, now, I remember wow. I was in Crazy Eddie this day, right? Check this out. I was in Crazy, Crazy Eddie this day. Yeah. And Cowboy and Mr. Ness, Scorpio, they walked in Crazy Eddie. They had on boots and leather and feathers and all that, but they were rock stars <laughs> to me. It was like looking at these dudes like, right? right? Okay, so they came in, seen them, they left. And this dude walks in with a box. Now, what they used to do with Crazy Eddie, they would take the new record that's out and put it on top of the uh, counter and play the album out in the store. This dude comes in with a box. They pull the record out, and it was Captain Sky Super Sperm. Boom. He puts it okay. on top of the counter. He plays the album. The Super Sperm part comes in. I hear it run to the front. Yo, what the hell is that? Give me two of those. I bought two of those and I bought two Sears for cookies. I think I'm the very first dude with Super Sperm, man, because I was there the day it came in. And it never it wasn't out before that. So I think I'm the very first dude with Super Sperm. And then they did uh and then they remade the album and put Dr. Rock on the album. Okay. Yeah. Right, right. So, but the original Super Sperm album didn't have Dr. Rock on it. And I was there that day in Crazy Eddie the day it came in. So I was there in the I was trying to get everything at this time but there wasn't a lot of places I, I didn't know a lot of names and stuff so i would just get it as i go but crazy eddie started started bootlegging some records <laughs> and he started putting stuff in yeah he really? started stuff in. and then across the street right directly across the street from crazy eddie was r and r records and they had all the breaks there they had a lot of stuff there so people would go over there and, and buy their stuff but it was it wasn't a lot of places again burnside avenue in the bronx they had a store over there that we used to always go to, and they had a lot of bootleg, 12 inches and stuff like that. And that's how we got it. Okay, so, and, and and forgive me for asking a lot of pedestrian DJ questions, but I feel like, you know, a, a bird in the hand is two in the bush, and like, that's you right. know, you're, you're the closest to, to this era, so I can get all my questions out. Okay, so how old were you when you first started DJing, like, your first block party, your, your first party? Okay, so equipment wise, how are you transporting this? Like, how far from your house is the destination for which you're going to DJ the gig? And how do you get it there? Like, I know if you're a nine year old, you're not carrying one turntable at a time, one mixer at a time, the table. So, like, how do you organize? My building was here. The Turtle Park was right up the street. You set up right in front of the Turtle Park. 
Done. And then across the street was my school, directly across the street from my house. I could look out my window, look in the schoolyard. John Peter Tate taught 143. We used to do parties up in there, dog up in there. Everybody just come grab the equipment, bring it up, bring it down the street. And that's how we did it. Plug it up to the pole. And we was out there all day. And then we would go to other blocks. Two questions. One, how loud is the system? And was it loud enough to, to rock a party area? My block, first of all, was the main block everybody would come to. Because all the, it was just the fly dudes on the block. We just we just had a way of carrying ourselves on our block. So all the different areas would come. So whenever we was out there with the system, that shit was super loud. And people would just know from Fordham, from Marble Hill, from Fort Independence, from Heath Avenue, from Bailey Avenue, University. They would just hear the music. They would just know. Then the word of mouth would get around, too. You know, kid is rocking out there. They doing a block party, whatever. And next thing you know, the whole block is swamped. Okay. Yeah, it used to be some crazy. So my second question is, how are you protected? Like, you know, as a nine-year-old, you're with turntables and a mixer and your records and whatnot. Is is there any situation of like, come, first of all, are other boroughs allowed to come to your borough to, to represent? Like, as a Bronx child, are you allowed to go to Brooklyn to spend that block party? Or like, are you staying yeah. just where you know no i would go where i was invited everywhere because i got at a, at a young age early on my name traveled real quick so i would go anywhere the problem was where you could go anywhere but if you wasn't good you get your ass beat so if like if you come from the Bronx, you go to brooklyn and you was not good you may have a problem if you don't they love you so it was, it was that type of thing has there so i wanted to know has there been situations of like Oh, yo, we're st- we're we're taking his turntables, or never ever. We're still not for you, but do you know stories of like, ah, uh, man, he got his mixing oh, jacked, yeah. or oh yeah, I've been to block parties where dudes got guns put, DJs got put guns put out on. How are you protected from that action, and how often would that happen? It never happened to me because I was rolling. I had you know my dudes just want to make sure I was alright. But I think right. I'm gonna tell you this um question. Even to now, all the you know, or to try 200 shows a year. Even as in that, it's the, I don't carry that aura that people wanted to do things to me. And, you know, it was never like that. I never, I never went in other people's neighborhood and acted funny or, you know, treated people funny. You know, I, I just never did that. So I never had that problem of, yo, what you doing here? We're going to rob you or any of that. I never had that energy, but I always had people around me to make sure that I was straight. You know what I'm saying? And I never went places that I didn't, I wasn't straight. I mean, I, I've been to some dangerous, dangerous places, but right, I, I was always good. But my energy make people feel a certain way, so I don't really get that. Even the most gangsterous dudes, you know. The reason why I ask you this question because I actually asked Dre this question, uh, you know, pre NWA, where you know, so if you remember the scene in Straight Outta Compton, where he is about to play Marvelettes. Uh, Please wait, Mr. Postman. And he mixes it with Planet Rock. And Dre explains to me, like, yo, that was like such a risk for me to do because he was like, unlike those other parties, you know, like at any other party, they might give you one chance to spin a dud that they don't feel. And you might have 20 seconds to fix it. But, you know, Dre was explaining to me that 
he was spinning at a spot that was absolutely relentless and not forgiving at all for like the wrong record. So for him to take such a risk, like he knew in order for him to make a mark, he had to take a risk. And it's like, all right, I'm going to make them think I'm going to play some old Motown shit. Then they're going to get upset. Then when I have Planet Rock, they're going to be like, oh, shit. So he was like purposely saying that he had to lower expectations, but just fast enough to elevate them. So like what space does that leave you as a creative? You know, because, you know, I told you, as I explained at the top of the show, that you were big on like these these classic mixes of like mixing R&B with hip hop and this acapella with that song and, you know, things that at least for, you know, maybe it was typical in New York, but I wasn't getting that in Philly. So like you were the first tape DJ that I was getting in the late eighties, early nineties, like when I was in high school and whatnot. So how would you find the space? Like, when did you start figuring out like ways to make your trademark known? Well, first let me say this. I'm a fan. I'm a fan of great things. I'm a fan of good music. I'm a fan of good groups and just music, just everything about it. I'm a fan. When I when I go to my shows and do my shows, I look at myself as a person in the crowd watching myself and how would I want to feel if I was that person watching me? What would make a promoter want to bring me back? What would make these people want to pay to come to see me again? I think like them. So with that, I like things that are good. I don't put a date on things. If it's good, it's good. And when it's good, it's timeless to me. And, and, and I could take something that will be unusual, nobody ever heard before, never heard it, um, don't know nothing about it, and make it sound like it's familiar. It's just the way, it's just the way it comes across. Keep in mind, Questlove, we DJs, anybody can play these records. Anybody can play these records. It's how you play it. It's mm -hmm. the impact you give. I, I'm always an impact dude, a uh, element of surprise. What's going to make it go to the next level? What's going to make these people feel better than they did before they seen me? What, you know what I'm saying? How can I make them feel like they're never going to ever go to another event that's going to be better than this? They're never going to feel that feeling. That's my focus. So with that, I'll try certain things. Even if, I, you know, I was the one that started playing records and taking it off in the fourth bar. And the reason why I was doing that is because I had Def Comedy Jam television show and I was doing the, com the, the concerts. And I only had a 15 minute set. So I had to play records quick. And I'm watching these people go into a frenzy every time I play this record quick. I throw one on. And if you pit, and if, if you don't throw the right one on after each other, you'll piss somebody off. So it has to be the right one that's going to make them forget that one that they like, that they want to hear that you cutting off. Mm -hmm. So I'm watching these big crowds losing their mind to this, to this. So I applied it to the parties. And then I seen it working the parties and, you know, DJs follow that. But you don't need a whole lot. You, sometimes you play a record too long, it gets boring. Sometimes the hook is just the best part. Sometimes this, the count-off is the best part. Sometimes the intro is the best part and you can lean into something else. But that's building a continuity. That's build, that's that's painting a picture for people and kind of giving them a story from beginning to middle to end. You kind of tell them a story. And I've had somebody tell me that. He was like, yo, I've seen you. I've been to six of your shows. It's like you're trying to talk to us. It's like you're trying to tell us a story. And that's exactly right. what I'm doing. So if you play, I can play Sanford the Sun. Chrissy Jones, Sanford the Sun. Boop, 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 boop. Right in the middle of the party. The way I play it, make the crowd go crazy. But if I play it a different way, they'll look at me like, what the hell is he doing? 
Right. So it's all the way, it's all in the presentation. It's all how you deliver it. And I've been very lucky with that. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to on Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. What year did, did you really start DJing? Like, what's your actual, like, first year? 1976. Okay. In that period in which you're collecting records and, and, and doing this, what was the holy grail of breaks or records that wasn't available or as prevalent as it is now for you back then? Like, what was like, oh, my God, I found it. Like, even though I'd never used it, like, finding Funky Drummer on 45 meant something to me. But I found Funky Drummer on 45, like, eh, what, like 10, 12 years ago, you know? Like, oh, I never knew they made this on 45, and then I found a bunch of them. But for you, like, what was that record like? Oh, my God, like, I can't wait to... What was the hardest record to acquire back then in your formative years? Rocket in the pocket. Yo, what is okay? 
Can you explain to me, like, as as a break aficionado, and I get it, like, I've I've heard many of those mixtapes where cats rhyme over, whatever. I mean, at, right now, as I speak to you, um, I'm on a, a break uh, rehearsing with LL. Mm-hmm. Even LL goes on to like, yo, we got to do something to rock it in the pocket. We got to do something to rock it in pocket. Like, what is it? And it's rocket in the pocket by rocket in po- Cerrone. Cerrone. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, Cerrone is a uh, French drummer. Rocket in pocket is kind of like a, a a break of his. I don't know if this is a live album or not. There's a crowd in it. Yeah, it's a live a live record, and we had to put it on forty five. On forty five, I was about to say it was very slow. Mm-hmm. Yep. What is it about that record? So when that album first came out back then, like all of y'all were going to eight ship, like I gotta we get rocking in the pocket. I got damn mind when that I remember it was a pool, <laughs> a pool room. There was a pool room on Heath Avenue in the Bronx, and Louis came to the pool room and they did his party in there, and Louis was DJing. He played rock in the pocket, man. It was like the whole room just stopped. Like everybody was like, What the fuck is that? And he played it, he played he, Every time he cut it, people you just seemed to, it was just crazy. And then from that day on, that's the next time I heard it was with Cold Quest. But from that day on, Rock in the Park was like one of the top joints, and you couldn't find it nowhere. Because there was two Rock in the Pockets. There was the one, there was the studio Rock in the Pocket. Right. And then there was the live one. The live one is the one. So it was oh. hard to get that live one. So they bootlegged it. Ah. Right. I gotta admit, when when you spin it on 45, it sounds it sounds kind of kind of otherworldly because you know the the guitar is kind of on top of the snare, so it does it. It sounds like some futuristic shit, which mm-hmm. it just sounds like a industrial breakbeat. So okay, rocking in pocket that makes sense. Yep. Was King Tim the Third, in your opinion, w- was that a a pioneering moment for you guys, or was it just sort of like? Shrug, okay, King Tim the Third, no big deal. And what was your reaction to a rapper's delight? Like hearing what you you're involved with on a local kind of a local basis now being on a record. What was your reaction to it? Well, let me say this first of all. Bill Curtis from the Fat Bad Band is my uncle. Oh wow. Oh word. Yeah, he's my uncle. I just uh, I interviewed him recently on IG. He gave me some new. He gave me some two inches of uh, some of their old stuff from the '70s stuff. I ain't go through it yet. I just I just did a record for him that's doing real good in London. And uh, in the, in New he York. has his he masters. Yeah, yeah, I have his masters. I have him over here. And um, Wiki Wacky. Yeah, I got. I, that's what I wanted to use. I wanted to do Wiki Wacky over. That's crazy. You said Wiki Wacky. <laughs> I wanted to do it over. Yo, <laughs> that's crazy. I did. I did it. I did the beat. I just didn't write the rhyme yet, but the beat is done. But oh. um, that's crazy. He said, Wiki Wacky. We just got back from London with the Chili Peppers, and I did a DJ gig. I didn't realize that Wiki Wacky is a religion. And it wasn't until Giles Peterson reminded me that even on the song Maureen by Sade, she mentions like a good time in her life was her and her girlfriends uh, dancing to Wiki Wacky in a nightclub. And I didn't realize that when I put that song on, it was like I put on Smells Like Teen Spirit back in the it's day. A big, like, it, it, yo, Bill, my uncle, man, very talented. I, I produced a record for them recently called Bang, Bang, Bang. It's doing real good in Europe for them. It's doing real good, as a matter of fact. And um, He's 90 years old, man. He's still going. Like, they still going crazy. strong? 
still going, still touring, still wow. traveling, still in the studio, comes over here to my crib, everything. So he, he he's really moving. Um, but um, to answer Damn. your question, let's go back because people think hip hop started with rappers delight. Well, right. record started with rappers delight. All right. King Tim the Third was the personality job was the first rap record in our way of doing rap, in our way of doing hip hop. But rap started way in the 40s. The first rappers was the Jubilees, a group called the Jubilees, four, four uh singer, gospel kind of singers, but they mm -hmm. rhyme just like a rapper. They, they, if you go and you listen to their listen to go pull up their video on YouTube, they rhyme exactly with the bars, with the flow with everything it's, it's amazing and this is in the 40s the mm -hmm. first time a rap record was made was here come the judge from pygmy markham pygmy markham pygmy markham markham was a comedian he had his record here come the judge had the crazy heartbeat to it but james brown was the one that gave the format of where hip-hop was going to be mm -hmm. pygmy martin was a uh, pygmy markham was the first one to rhyme as a rapper mm -hmm. as a, in a rap in a rap way on that right. type of music. So it was already here. What we're doing is just a remix. Now in our way, yes, Hertz came in 73 and into this room and he's playing these, these soul records, you know, and that was the beginning. But I remember being that young, watching everybody break dancing. In 73, 72, 73, 74, I remember watching people break dancing to Just Begun, uh, the James Brown, clap your hands and, Fast record potential records like that. This was back then. Out in you know, I was a young kid watching this. So eventually, it grew into when '77 came around and DJ started. All that was tied together, but it was it started way before we even was even born. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just that you know, black people. It created so many things that got overlooked. You know, so many things that was pushed to the side, and this was mm -hmm. one of them. You know, it just it just took many more years for us to really catch on and make it prevalent. But it was going rap was going on since back then. What do you consider? Because you know, I, I in my eyes, I consider you like the first generation of uh, superstar DJs, where you know, just way past the pioneering stage of like where Flash and Bombada took it. Like you as a product, but for you, like coming out the starting gate. I knew of you and I knew of Ron G mm -hmm. like, but for you, who were the, 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 the main, the forefathers of the superstar DJ eras where you're making mixtapes, where you're tearing up black colleges, where you're starting to get mainstream love on like television shows. Like who, who do you consider? Who's the peer group of the superstar DJ era for you? I got to put red alert up there. I got to put Grandmaster master flash up there. I got to put um, Charlie Chase up there. And the reason why I say these names, because, and Herc, of course, because they were the ones that was there first. They were the ones that, you know, I always say this, like I work with everybody, everybody. You see my BET performance, I put, I curated a whole BET show. And my whole thing was to make, to get a course that the young and the old could party together and enjoy themselves. And I think I hit that mark, but you know, my heroes is always the dudes that came before me, the dudes that didn't make the money I made or got the fame that I might have gotten or the accolades I've gotten, but they built it from the ground up. You know, um, a lot of times, some of our elder statesmen, they get stuck in their old school way of thinking and they don't want to change. 
you know, saying it, it, and change is going to happen. I remember I had a, a, a talk with Herc one time, and I told Herc, I said, Yo, Herc, you know that it wasn't going to just stay in the Bronx. It was going to go worldwide, you know, because what happened was a lot of times we got selfish. We was in the Bronx. We made it. We wanted to stay there. Like, this was something that the world was going to take over. You know what I'm saying? So a lot of times the world could be harsh to the ones that help build it. And it makes those people that help build it feel a certain way. So now when they say something, it looks like they're being old. It looks like they're mad at somebody. It looks like they're bitter. You know, but what it is is that they feel like they didn't get fulfilled in the way that they think they should. You know, and that's why Hip Hop 50 is great because now it's no, it's a balance. It's everybody's being seen. Everybody's making money. Everybody is is being appreciated and the young dudes are seeing how important these older dudes were and are and what they've done in the path that they put for the younger dudes but the older dudes got to understand that the younger dudes is going to change and do what they want and what's relevant to them and what they like you don't have to like it but you cannot things are going to change hi folks this is sugar steve and right here is where we're going to pause this interview Check back next week or look in your podcast feed for part two. In that conversation, Kid Capri speaks about his transition to album making and production, how Biz Marquee helped him get a deal, and what motivates him today. Thank you for celebrating 50 years of hip-hop with Questlove Supreme. If you haven't already, please check out our interviews this month celebrating hip-hop innovators. In addition to Kid Capri, we have conversations with Styles P and Slum Village. Much Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.